0: seated. So we've been working through 1 Peter, this this letter to to the early church, to the scattered and exiled church. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. It'd be a good time to do it. But in this series, we've been looking at what it is to be a healthy church. And even even as the odds are stocked against us in this world, we can be, and God has empowered us to be healthy churches. Uh, and, And that's really what Peter's breaking out. Now, he wouldn't have used the term church health because they weren't talking in those terms then, but the reality is, is what he's telling them, and and the things that he's describing to them and talking to them about would have fed and built in them, that would have made them healthy Christians and thereby healthy churches. Now, as I've mentioned, it's it's uh, it, it, as Peter's dealt with this, as he's done this, he started really by dealing with the individual members. It wasn't that that Peter always spoke big picture church, you know, corporate level. He first began speaking at an individual member level and dealing with our identity and who we are as Christians and and what God has done to us or for us and and how He has. Uh, changed us this this gospel doctrine jesus coming dying in our place rising on the third day giving us life and giving us uh inheritance and giving us hope and and all of this by the mercy of god this is gospel doctrine that changes who we are we are now holy we are children of god we are adopted in his into his family we are born again these are the things that god did in us this gospel doctrine leads to gospel identity and then we see how it bleeds over as God's people we are not just God's person we are God's people it leads to gospel community and so really since we've come into chapter 2 beginning in verse 4 we've really been dealing with the the church at a corporate level and seeing what God is doing not just in individuals but in his people at large and from this passage in in chapter 2 verses 4 through 10 we've developed a a premise really it's the second major premise that we've been uh, working through in this healthy church series and it goes like this let me just share it with you uh, so that so that it's fresh in your mind having been united together with christ he unites us with his people to live together for his purpose and together to fulfill his mission this is this is really a summary of what peter's teaching us in this passage and we started the very first week we dealt with this we started looking at the membership component being united with christ he unites us with his people membership in the church is not, it's not a secondary step in our Christian walk. It's not something we add to Christianity. It's not, it's not as if we're Christians and if, if we feel like it, we'll get together with his church. No, Jesus is placing us in his church. Membership in the church is automatic. It's not optional. It's, it's a part of what Jesus is doing. Now that's, that's expressing it at a universal level. There is a, a, a local expression that we have to take actively and take seriously. We have to act on that. We have to join together. We we have to make it happen, but but he's doing it and expects us then to follow through. And then that, that was the first component. But why? Why is he assembling his people? Why why is he saving people and putting them together? Well, that's the purpose question. That's the second piece of that premise that we're to live together for his purpose. Well, why is he doing it? Well, why, why is he saving people in the assembly? Why, why isn't he just taking us on home? Just save me and get me out of here. Beam me up, Jesus, please. It'll be better. Just take me on. I'd rather. But he's got purpose. He's, got, he's doing this intentionally. He's, he's got this design. He's got this intentionality behind it. And, and that's really what we began to answer last week is just to discover and study and understand what God's doing, why he's doing it. Answering this why question, it's as imperative as knowing who we are. We need to know who we are. We need to understand our identity. And so we took several weeks working out our individual Christian identity, talking about who we are. But as necessary as understanding who we are, we need to understand why we are. But not why we are from our perspective, why we are from his perspective. And this passage in Peter Peter's first letter gives us the answers to those questions, and so we're going to read it again, and we're going to continue working towards understanding God's purpose for the church, God's purpose in the church. And so let's begin reading in verse 4, and we'll read through verse 10. As you come to Him, that's Jesus, as you come to Jesus, a living stone, rejected by, by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You see, as you come to him, you are being built up. It's not something secondary. It's not something later. It's it's as you come to him, this is happening. You are being made members in his family, in his kingdom, your citizens. You're, you're being built together with other believers. It's automatic. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer... Membership in the church, belonging to the body. It it happens in and only through Christ. If you do not come to Christ, if a person rejects the cornerstone, if a person dismisses it, if if, if a person looks at it and and, and thinks, oh, that's not worthy of my time, it's not worthy of my life, he becomes a, a rejected cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But that's important. See, there's a contrast about to be shown. But you, those of you who have come to Christ, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that you, I'm sorry, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous Light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's powerful. It's beautiful. this, this, This picture that Peter is painting of the church and showing us God's purpose in it. And as we began last week we began answering the question of why why is God assembling us we we first looked at five metaphors that he gives us here five five metaphors that really could be considered identity traits of the church and so we've spoken about our our personal identity as a child of God as as a holy person of God as a redeemed and and and, and adopted we we talked about that identity But but it goes beyond just our individual identity. He's showing us now together who we are in Christ. He's showing us this picture through these metaphors. He's showing us this picture of who the body of Christ is, of who the church is. And those five things that we looked at in verse 5, he calls us a spiritual house. We are together. We are together the dwelling place of God. He lives in us. Not this building, not not some location, not some event. He lives in us. In His people. Verse 5 and 9, Peter refers to us as a priesthood. He calls us a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. We have access to God. We have authority to walk into His presence. And we have been set apart for His work in the world. We are sacred. And because we are sacred, we have sacred jobs to do. That's what we talked about last week. Go, Go back and listen and hear it more fully. Verse 9 says we are a chosen race. We are of one lineage. Now we claim different lineages and we divide across familial lines, family lines all the time. But he's saying in Christ, in Christ, you have one line. You belong to one line. There is no distinction. And and the beauty of this is is that as as we celebrate that one line, we don't have to act like we're colorblind right we don't have to act like there's not diversity we we can celebrate diversity in in the midst of the of the unity we can celebrate the 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 different socioeconomic people that he's drawing together our city i, I was just having this conversation last night our city is 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 one it is, i i i've not lived i've lived several places but not really studied culture in a lot of places our city i've paid close attention to and it is full of railroad tracks. We divide over the smallest of things. I mean, just a simple north side, south side kind of thing. Or or just your neighborhood. I mean, we have pockets. And if, if we have our neighborhood, that's that's our people, that's our identity. You go over a couple of blocks and it's a whole other group of people. Whole nother socioeconomic A whole other perspective, and the people in this neighborhood don't really intermingle with this neighborhood. Jesus, in Christ, as we come to him, we are being shown that, that we are a chosen race, that those divisions are being done away with, that we are, again, in verse 9, a holy nation. That we aren't American or Chinese or Korean or Jew or Greek, as the as the scripture would say, we we aren't those things first. Yes, we're we're born here, we're born here, and and, and yeah, in some way we're we're affected by by, by being raised here, and, and there's nothing wrong with being patriotic about the nation, but but it should be secondary. It should come after your 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 connection to and your being made into this holy nation, every socioeconomic, every racial, every national, every every sense of division that we can create in this world, in Christ, it's being undone. We are one people. In fact, I would just point this out to you. I didn't bring this up last week, and I, it's not in my notes, and so you're just, just count this as bonus. At the end, he says, before you were not a people. Despite the fact that we count ourselves a people in many ways, right? Despite the fact that we are either white, black, Chinese, Asian, Latino, uh, you name it. We, we, we're, we're rich or we're poor. We're male, we're female. We're, we're, we're a Cardinals fan or a Royals fan. We're north side Springfield or we're south side Springfield. We divide over all kinds of things and we find connection among those things. And he says it doesn't matter. Those are fake and they're false and they're empty. You were not a people. Period. But now, by God's power, you are a people. You, You know why we weren't a people before, even though we made connections? Because we were living for ourselves. Outside of Christ, you don't, it's impossible to truly care about others more than yourself. You are a person that connects to people for your selfish agenda. But now, you have been made God's people. We are a people in Christ. As we come to him, we truly are made people belong the dividing walls of hostility have been torn down we are united in him in verse 9 the final final metaphor is that we are a people for his possession he has bought us we are paid for we belong to him but it's not <coughs> it's not like we're just any old uh any old possession it's not just like those things that we forget we own we are a treasured possession you see Peter fully knows full well that God owns everything. It all belongs to Him. He calls us out as a special possession, a treasured possession, one that is protected and one that is preserved, one that is seen as valuable in the eye of the one who possesses it. And that's the beauty of who we are, not just as individuals, but as the church, as the people of God. That's who we are. Looking at these 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 traits, uh, these metaphors, these identifying factors, these these traits of who we are, we see in part why God is doing what He's doing. We see in part what His purpose in the church is. God's purpose for the church through Jesus Christ is to assemble a people to Himself. That's His purpose in in part. To assemble a people to himself, to, to, to remove dividing lines, to, to remove the, the selfishness, to, to remove the individuality, to remove the independence and the and the non-caring for others and the and the and the living on your own and consuming without concern, without thinking of others. Where we have divided, Christ has torn it down. Where, where, we, have, where we have built walls, Christ has knocked them over. But that's only part of the answer. And we know that's only part of the answer because there's more here that Peter gave us. There's more that we haven't even touched yet. We find those in verse 5 and 9 again. He gave us the five metaphors, those five pictures of who the church is. But he also gave us two statements about what God is doing and empowering the church to do. In verse 5, it says, as we come to Christ, we are being built together. Like living stones, like the living stone, being built together. As a spiritual house, as a holy priesthood, why? To offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. That's the first part of it. To to offer these spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. He's He's enabling us. He's empowering us to offer spiritual sacrifices. That's part of the part part of the rest of the answer. Why? Verse nine. In coming to Christ, we're a chosen race, to A a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? Why? To proclaim excellencies, his excellencies. To proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, God isn't just about assembling a people just to say he did, although that would be fine because he's God and he can do that if he wants. But there's so much more. You see, God's purpose for the church through Jesus Christ is to assemble a people for himself. But more fully than that, based on these other two phrases alongside these five identifying traits, God's purpose for the church through Jesus Christ is to assemble a people for himself that we will worship and enjoy him forever. That's his purpose for you. That's his purpose in you, that's what he longs and knows is absolutely best for you. Now, I can't take full credit for that part. In part, I've learned this from Peter, but I've also stolen this from the Westminster Confession. I mean, that's number one. What's the chief end of man to enjoy or to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? So, so I'm learning this from other people. But, but, but notice it is in the Scripture. I mean, we're not just assuming this. God's purpose is to assemble a symbol of people who will worship him and enjoy him forever. It's not just the testimony of Peter. This is the whole thrust of Scripture. From the very beginning, and actually really from before the beginning, before the foundations of the world, Jesus knew he was coming. Jesus knew he was going to die in our place for our sins. Jesus knew that he was going to raise from the grave on, on the third day and provide us the hope of life. He knew these things. But we see it in time, clearly being displayed, clearly being demonstrated from the very beginning, from the moment that Adam and Eve rebelled and rejected God and entered into sin and received the curse. From that very moment, we're hearing God speak of one who would come and provide us faith. And all the way through the Scripture to the very end in the book of Revelation, He is assembling a people, redeeming, ransoming reconciling and bringing into restoration a people that will not only worship him but that will enjoy him forever see we were we were created for this we were created to live fully in intimate relationship with him we we were created and and designed for to, to worship him Him to give him honor and glory. We were not created to experience wrath. It wasn't his his primary intention for us was not to be a people of wrath, to be condemned and sent out. He takes no pleasure in the condemnation of the wicked. It's his desire that all would come to repentance. But in our own rejection in our own rebellion of Him. That's what we deserve. But God, being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, has provided life in Christ that that meets our deepest needs and overcomes our greatest obstacles. Now, for many of you, I, and I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I think that it's natural for us to to begin to think, oh, as soon as I hear about my needs and my obstacles, we move them automatically to these tangible things that we face. You know, like my next meal, I'm gonna want to eat. I don't want a house to live in. I need clothes to put on. Sometimes it's not even that basic. I mean, I mean. We go overseas and we move. In, we, we go to these places, and actually, you don't even have to go overseas. We, we deal with poverty here, and oftentimes you ask these questions of, "What do you need?" And it's these basic things like, "Just give me some toothpaste." I just like a new toothbrush. I'd like to have my own toothbrush, toiletries, toilet paper, and, and soap. These basic things that we consider necessities in life, and, and that's not all of us, though, is? I mean, we we We've got to have the next smartphone, the next, and, and I'm guilty, I, I mean, I'm using it as my timer, and I'm preaching off of my notes, and, and, and I understand, I, I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm not trying to cast guilt, or, but, but 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 we act like we need these things. We need a retirement plan, or actually a, just a little bigger house, with a spare bedroom We don't often think of our needs in the in the context. I think that Peter's trying to show us our needs are here. You see, we, we don't we think of obstacles and we think of things that are keeping us from achieving the goals that we have set for our life. Well, hey, I, I plan to be rich and retired by the time I'm 55. What's in my way of that? I, I plan to I plan to have this many kids or or be married by this date or or do this particular thing, and what's in my way of that? What's keeping me from it? Well, I got to overcome that obstacle. And most of us probably probably would would, would think of our needs and our, our obstacles more more in a tangible sense, but but in this passage, I begin. I, th- I think we begin to see that that, that at least in, in, in the midst of this, that our greatest need, our greatest need, more than more than we need the next breath we breathe. More than we need the next meal we're going to eat, or, or the next the, 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 the house over our head, or the, the obstacle to be removed from our path. Our greatest need is to, the, to have the intimate fellowship that brings joy with our Creator. The intimate fellowship with our creator that brings joy. I, I, the, the obstacle in our path is that we worship. Everything except the Creator. We've deemed the creation worthy of our devotion. That is an obstacle that is keeping us from enjoyment and, and fulfillment and satisfaction. We give our lives to these things. And Peter's saying, no, that's not what you were created for. That's not what God is building. He's saying, no, there's something more for you, something higher, something better. But on our own, on our own, we are powerless, incapable, and I think unwilling to find our needs met in Christ and our obstacles overcome by coming to Christ. Peter says, no, there's more. God has a higher to worship Him, and to enjoy Him forever. That's where our needs are met. That's where our obstacles are overcome. You see, as we come to Christ, as we come to Him, as we, as we make our way to Him, He came to us and He says, now come to me, He says, come to me. As we come to Him, He makes us able to worship God in word and in deed. We are incapable of real, true, God-oriented, Christ-centered worship without coming to Him. This is His work in His church. You can come every Sunday morning and you can sing songs to, to your heart's content. But if you aren't first coming to Christ, you are not coming to worship. You must come to Him He makes you able to worship. Look at how Peter demonstrates that. He made us a priesthood of believers. He's given us works to do. He's made us his spiritual house. He's called us his temple. Those two things, they enabled, they empowered, they made worship possible in Jerusalem. They made worship more than just some theoretical thing, but they made it possible. It's where it happened. And he is saying where you are, by what you do, you can worship God. You have been made these things together that you may offer spiritual sacrifices. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to start chopping heads off of chickens. You can do that, but that's not what he's referring to. Eat the chicken and enjoy it for dinner. But it's not a sacrifice that's useful. You see, the sacrificial system, it ended in Christ. He completed it. He fulfilled it. What is Peter talking about? What's he referring to? What's he, what, what are we empowered to do? I, I appreciate Alexander McLaren's perspective on this. He gives us four things. He, he says that, that the sacrifice that Peter's referring to is, is the sacrifice of the body. Romans 12.1, Therefore I beseech you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's what what Paul said. He's saying, come and give your whole life to it. Don't don't, don't just come to Christ and give him a little bit. Come and offer your life to him. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. In our work. Not simply going to get a paycheck and to build your own kingdom, but going to glorify God. Going, trusting that he's going to provide through your work. That he's not going to just provide for your needs, but he might just provide abundantly that you might be a blessing to others. Go to your work knowing that you are going to be the best employee to the glory of His name, to in our homes, not just simply being a dad for, for the pat on the back, or, or the mom that wins the award, but filling our roles in our homes as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and children to the glory of God's name. Making all of our efforts about seeing Him honored that means from the time i get out of bed to the to the resting of my head on the pillow even my rest is about glorifying him the things that i do the sacrifice of praise he points out the sacrifice of praise we're going to deal with that more in just a little bit i won't go into too much detail here but but let me help you see why i think this is a sacrifice it's a sacrifice of praise because we'd rather have the praise Give it up. In fact, this is something I've been thinking about. I, I use this as an illustration all the time because I do things with this with this nagging intention and desire to hear, hey, good job, Seth. When I'm done, I'm done preaching, I feel the weight of this in my, in my spirit that I know that's not what the deepest parts of me want. I want God to be glorified, but there is a nagging voice. Nobody said good job. You must have done terrible. You didn't say that just right. You screwed that whole thing up. One of the things I've learned from is that when when Paul wrote the letters that he wrote to the churches, he didn't talk about how good they were. He said, I thank God for your faith. I praise God for the work that he's doing in you. So so please, give me a compliment. But when you give me a compliment, say, I thank God for what he's doing for you. I did that just this morning. It's dawned on me that we need to be doing that. We need to be praising God. Not Not simply because of what he's doing in us, but what he's doing through others around us. That's the compliment that we need to get. Our praise is a sacrifice because we want it. I'd rather it go to him. And so rather than having the awkward moment of you coming to me and saying, Hey, thanks for that. I really needed that. I appreciate you. And me saying, Well, you know, God gets the glory. And you thinking, Oh, that's, you know, that's humble, but really, seriously, come on. I know you want it. Instead of that awkward moment, just, just say it to one another I thank God for you. And then let me encourage you to do this sacrifice your body so that others are looking to you and saying, I thank God for that's the worship indeed. That's the sacrificial work. That's the sacrificial, uh, uh, the spiritual sacrifices that he's referring to. The sacrifice of help to others. Again, it's about meeting others where they're at. I would summarize it in the way that Paul does in the, in the book of Philippians to, to consider the needs and interests of others over your own, to think that others' needs are more significant than yours. It's a simple. Now, I talked about this a lot last night as simple as an RSVP. You know, we had seven people sign up that they were coming. We had 50 people here. It's a good thing I decided to buy 50 people's worth of food because I was really only going to buy about 15 people's worth of food. Consider one another more significant than yourself. Take your eyes off of yourself. It's a spiritual sacrifice. It's a sacrifice because we'd rather just think about ourselves. It's so easy to assume our own needs. Sacrifice it. Put it to death. It doesn't belong. He goes on and he, he talks about the sacrifice of death itself. Now, this is something we don't talk about a whole lot, and we're not faced with it day in and day out in the country we live, but there is a reality that some people will be called on to be martyrs for the faith. We see it more and more. We're seeing it happen. It's being publicized on television. You can go on YouTube and you can see the videos for yourself if you want to. People are literally dying because of what they believe. While while we may not all be called to be martyrs, we all must live in an understanding that, that if we're going to come to Him, we are going to be empowered to love that life more. To love the life to come more. And that there might come a moment that you have to put yourself at risk. See, this is the spiritual sacrifice. This is what it is to give up ourselves for Him. As, as, as Paul said it again in the book of Philippians to live is Christ. Everything I do is about Him, empowered by Him, and made possible through Him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't lose. You don't don't lose something. We don't lose a brother or sister in the faith. They have won. They have gone home. And I don't think that means we run around just being stupid. He's given us wisdom. I think that means that we are called to to act and live with Him as our priority. He has done this as you come to him he has empowered you to live this way he has empowered you to worship indeed and he has empowered you to worship in words so that so as we sing this morning we're sitting here singing and we're saying thank you thank you thank you you realize that that is meaningless if you're doing it in your own power if you're if you're not a believer in jesus christ if you have never trusted him for life there's a reality that you can't say anything that is worthy of His ears hearing except please forgive me. That's hard for us to hear. It's difficult to understand. In coming to Christ, we are given the honor not just to experience His goodness, but to tell others about it, to proclaim it. That is an honor. It's not something that everyone in the world can do. We can talk about God a lot. But the best things we do, the best things we say, the scripture tells us are filthy rags. They must first have come through Christ and been empowered by Christ, telling one another of his amazing grace, his powerful mercy, his living grace. Hope, these things that Peter's been pointing us to, reminding one another of his regular, reminding one another regularly of his divine nature, his unlimited power, his ever presence. There's not a time or a circumstance or a moment in which he is not near you. Man, how desperately do we need to hear that in this world? How how often do we need to be reminded of it? Think about why Peter's telling it to these people. They are struggling. And He's reminding them of this truth. But not, just, not just talking about it. Not just talking about God to one another, but directing our thoughts and intentions and hearts toward Him. That as we speak, we join with the angels that surround His throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is a privilege that we have been granted and has been empowered in us by christ that is what he gave us to do that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into light thanking him for what he's done for us thanking him for the cross thanking him for the life that comes in christ see as we come to christ as we come to him he empowers us for for worship in word and in deed As we come to Christ, He makes us able to enjoy God. You know, it's not all about just expressing worship. God knows because we were designed to worship Him. He knows that the best thing for us, the the way that we find our satisfaction, the, the way that we find our joy is in worship of Him. He called us out of darkness. And into his light that we might not just know about him, but that we might know him. In coming to Christ, this is life in the light. In coming to Christ, the light exposes our sin. But it assures us also of God's goodness. You know what it's like to be in a dark room and all of a sudden to have the lights turn on. Like when you're asleep and and somebody walks in and flips the lights on and then you're trying to not just wake up, but you're trying to get your eyes open. It almost hurts, Right? And our our, our 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 temptation or our natural reaction is not just to it's to close our eyes and turn away and try to block it out. But as as we step into it, as we as we move into it, we recognize that the light is helpful. It's beneficial. It's good for us. And we recognize it's so good for us, we actually put switches in a house and, and light bulbs so that we can enjoy it. And we can use it. We, we quit carrying around fire, and we figured out ways that we could put it in light bulbs so it's a little safer for us to enjoy. We wanted the light because we recognized how beneficial it was. That's, that's what it is. As we come to Christ, and yeah, yeah, we're going to feel our sin exposed, and, and the longer we're in the light, we're going to see it exposed more. See, part of becoming a Christian is that light continuing to expose the depths of darkness in your heart, in your heart and soul. But as it does, as it shines, it it brings God's grace. Brings his assurance. You see, it's in the light that we're actually actually able to begin feeling the warmth of his presence. The smile of his face. The the goodness of being with God. That only happens in Christ. It only happens in coming to him. When we sense despair, when we feel out of control, when when we have lost our sense of self and our sense of purpose, it's not because God has failed. We've quit coming to Christ. There's certainly this initial moment, this initial, pre- this, this initial expectation. I come to Him, I trust in Him, I believe in Him. He brings me in, but He's building us. He's, he's growing us, He's shaping us, and he's, he's making us what He wants us to be. This is an ongoing thing where we're coming to Him and we keep coming to Him. And His light exposes our sin, and in the midst of exposing our sin, it shows us His grace and His mercy. His provision through the cross and the hope of life through Jesus' resurrection. The sense of despair, the sense of of emptiness, it's because we're trying to keep hold of those things that we've hidden in the dark. That's a result of sin. Get rid of it. He has called you out of that. Don't go back into it. Let the light wash over you. Enjoy the benefits of it. Our our enjoyment of God is directly proportional to our worship of God. And that's why these two things go hand in hand. You can't separate them. The more we worship God, the more we will enjoy God. We can continue toying with the things of this world. We can continue trying to maintain our own control. We can continue striving to keep our little kingdoms together. We can continue uh, choosing entertainment over the feast of His Word. We can continue hanging out with people and doing things with people that we know dishonor Him rather than spending time in prayer and communion with Him and His people. We can, we can continue striving to build our heaven here on earth instead of looking forward to the heaven to come. We can continue toying around with the the temporal, uh, 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 incomplete, and, and powerless things of this world, or we can turn fully to God, not because we've been able to ourselves, but because as we come to Christ, He makes us His people. And He's building us together that we might worship Him so that we might know the fullness of his joy. That's what he's doing. That's what he wants for you. So make your choice. The world and the things that are in the darkness, step into the light. that you might worship him, that you might enjoy him, that you might find your satisfaction in him. And all, Possible through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. So come to Him. Keep coming to Him. Don't stop. Don't turn around. Don't let yourself be deceived. Everything in this world that you think might give you some measure of happiness can be used of God for your happiness? But if you make it your ultimate thing, it will leave you wanting. Come to him. Let's pray.